Hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Chad. I want to welcome you to our online worship experience. I uh, know we wish it could be in person, but we're still here, still moving. Uh, what a week. A very difficult one for us, a very difficult one for our country, um, for individuals, uh, especially for uh, the family of George Floyd. And now as the ripple effect of that sin against him is spreading, wow, um, just real heaviness about uh, this moment. And I want to represent Jesus well to you this morning. And so I want to pray. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, thank you for um, the amazing truth that you reign today, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, that you have a plan. Lord, that you have a future and a hope for us as humanity. Lord, you have not left us as orphans. Lord Jesus, you have come and we pray, God, for a deep connection to truth this morning in the person of Jesus. Lord, would you meet us where we are? Uh, Lord, we are anxious. And I'm sure even many who are uh, maybe even attempting to watch uh, right on the side is maybe a, a news feed from Twitter or Facebook or something where they're seeing headlines that are just continuing to pour in. And God, we are honest uh, in our fear and honest when we say we don't know what to do. Lord, we look to you this morning. Uh, we ask you to instruct us in your word, to give us um, a place of understanding. Lord, we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves as believers. Uh, Lord, to say we need your truth. We need your instruction. God, help us. I pray you lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're uh, in a three-week series called, so far three weeks, um, A Future and a Hope. And asking the Lord, what does the future look like? And as we started this, uh, we were still, and we still are, in the middle of this COVID pandemic. And now um, we have seen a new layer, which is not a new layer. It's a very old layer. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, uh, revealing sin, revealing racism, revealing hate and discrimination. And it's coming at us. And we are being forced to come to grips with this reality. You know, I've been asked to speak many times in my, what is not that very long, I'm 48 years old, but I've been asked to speak probably hundreds of times in my life. And there've only been a few, and I can count them on one hand where I have trembled and been just sick to my stomach. Um, Two of those were funerals, and one of them is today. And it's in a deep desire to know, what do I say? Lord, how do I speak? How do I give your heart? And I'll tell you, this week as I watched, I've been through a gamut of emotions just like you, uh, horrified at the deep, dark sin that was committed against George Floyd um, and reminded of the others that I've seen Ahmaud Arbery and others just kind of popping up once again and again to show us that this sin of racism still exists. And I feel my own pride and my own thing of rising up like, no, no, we've, we've moved on and seeing the rage that it brings and the truth coming from all sides 
untruths and misinformation. And, and I'll be honest, you tempted. And I even said this to Lisa this week to my wife. I just don't want to say anything. Like, I'm just like, I'm out. I'm not going to do this. And sometimes you need reminding. You need reminding of who you are, who you are in Christ. Um, and it was my wife. I needed her to tell me, you can and you must speak. You can and you must. You must represent Jesus. On my own, I do not have answers. I don't. I, I don't understand what it means to be a person of color in this world. I am a white man. I have always known privilege. That's my reality. I don't understand. I want to show you just a couple of still images from a video that my wife showed me last night. The first is just a dad talking to his eight-year-old little girl. And you can see her there. She has her hands up. And he is explaining what, if you ask a person of color, this is a normal conversation that they have many times. But here's what he is telling her is how to respond if you're ever pulled over by a policeman. And so you hear this little girl speaking. She has her hands up in the air and she says, I'm Ariel Sky Williams. I'm eight years old. I'm unarmed and I have nothing that will hurt you. And then he tells her about how this has happened to him and how it hasn't always gone well. And you see the next slide. She gets really upset and she gets really upset at what happened to her daddy. And she gets really upset at what is going to be a reality for her. I don't understand that. I haven't had to experience that. If you speak to someone, a black person in America, they will tell you, oh, that's a normal conversation for us. It's just something we have to do. Kind of like me saying, oh yeah, I taught my kid how to throw a football. I taught each of my kids how to drive. For a person of color in the United States, they say, yeah, and we teach our kids how to respond to policemen. Doesn't mean that all policemen are bad. We know that. Uh, we know that that's a, a wrong conclusion. That's a exaggeration, but this is a reality for them. I don't understand that. I've never had to do that. I never had that conversation with my parents. And so in some sense, I don't know if I have anything to say. And I think some people would say, yeah, shut up. Don't say anything. But here's that reminder that came from my wife. And here's what came from the Holy Spirit this week as I remembered who I am in Christ. I know someone who does have something to say about it. I follow a savior who doesn't just have answers. He actually says that he is the answer. And I still believe he's the answer. And I believe his words can guide us, can give us hope and future. And when Jesus came onto the scene, he was in the wilderness for 40 days before he began his public ministry. He comes onto the scene and you would think he would say something like, I'm the king and I'm here to make everything right. And oh, by the way, I love you. And we're going to do great things here. That's not what he says. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or near. It's close to you. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson's words in the message translation. And he said this, it's God saying, change your life. God's kingdom's here. Change your life. Change your mind. God's kingdom is here. Not just he's here and he's got great news for you. I want you to have a better life. I want you to be kind. I want you to do good things. No, he says, repent, turn. So if his kingdom is here, if it's in our midst, one, what does that mean? And two, why is it still so bad here? Why is it still so bad 
here. Where there's a king, there's a kingdom. And we've kind of, as we've started to dig into a hope and a future, our future is the kingdom of God face to face. So where there's a king, there's a kingdom. A king is defined not by the property he owns. He's defined by his rule and his reign, the extent of his rule and his reign. Now we think kingdom and we think old Great Britain stuff, the crown and kings and absolute authority. And you know what? Our American personality And our bent here is to be suspicious of absolute power. It's what we're founded on. It's like, nope, we're not going to take you as our absolute authority. We're going to come up with a new system. When it comes to absolute authority and somebody being our king, you know what we say as Americans? Uh, Been there, done that, no thanks. The USA, United States of America, has had some great moments in history. But this past week is not one of them. It is not one of them. Even on our good days, when what we have here in the United States is seen and it's like, wow, that's a good thing. It is not the kingdom of God. The United States is not the new Jerusalem. It is not the kingdom of God. It's not how the kingdom of God is structured. We don't elect Jesus to be president for four years of our life, even though you see people who are like, yeah, I've had Jesus in my life for a while. By the way, everybody on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, I just want to let everybody know I tried Jesus out and I'm done with him. It's not like we elect him and decide. And then midway through, we say, you know, I'm going to start doing some internal polling about Jesus and his effects on my life and his effects on the things that happen around me. And I might say, Jesus, your economic numbers are pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good about my finances. Healthcare, not so great. Your justice, whoa, this is a little off. We need to work on your image. We need to get you out there and do some PR stuff and and get you a better image in people's minds. If you don't, you know, people just might not let you be their king anymore. Gag, right? We don't elect Jesus. The Bible tells us this isn't how it works. Tells us he's the king. So what did he mean? The kingdom of God is here. Change your life. Repent. Disciples were just as confused as you and me. In fact, they spent three years with him, watched him die, experienced his resurrection, heard his call on their lives, and they're sitting there and he's about to go up into heaven. And you know what they asked him? Hey, when's this kingdom of God stuff going to happen? Is it happening now? Is it now that you're going to do something amazing? Now, what they wanted was a fix to brokenness, legitimate question and desire. Fix the brokenness. In their minds, kingdom meant Messiah, which is anointed one, God's anointed one. But their understanding of the Messiah would be somebody who would come in and kick some tail. Just call out the people who are lying. Call out the people who are doing bad things. Fix it, God. And Jesus answered to their question, is it now? As he said, you know, that's something that the father has fixed. And it's not for you to know when. And yet, and we said this in the last couple of weeks, the kingdom of God is now and Not yet. I think that last phrase, we would all say, yeah, (laughs) definitely not. Just look at what's happening. Just look at what's happening. So there's a reason we don't get this. There's a reason that we struggle and we ask the same question as the disciples. Is it now? Is it happening? Are you going to fix this stuff? 
There's a reason the world doesn't get it. And it's a bigger problem than just misunderstanding. I want to show you why. We're going to be in Psalms 2 today. Um, familiar Psalm maybe to some of you. I think it will give insight. It's God's words. It's, we can't go wrong if we spend time in God's words to ask him, what do you think about what's happening in our world? So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalms 2. Um, you can also just, the, the verses will be on the screen. And we read the first three. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, the presidents, the politicians, the leaders set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, his anointed, his chosen one saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Cast away their cords from us. The psalmist asks one of the most important questions regarding people, human nature, and easily, if they watched this week, happen in the United States of America. Why? Why is this still happening? We can see that the nations are raging. The egregious sin committed against George Floyd, the egregious sins happening on our screens on our devices. We can find them. It's hard not to be upset. It's hard not to be angry. It's hard not to cry watching people get hurt. It's hard not to sympathize with people who want to have a voice, want to be counted as important as everybody else, want to know when things are going to change. And then hard not to get confused when all that gets mixed up and you have others coming in and there's violence and no, the violence is justified. No, it's not. No, why are the nations raging? The psalmist asked the question. The question is still there because the world's on fire, isn't it? It is on fire. We should ask the same question. Why God? Why? But we should do it like this with one finger pointing at the, the stuff and three fingers pointing back at us. Why is the nation raging? And primarily here, pointing right here, it's not just an accidental sin either. It's not, oh man, I'm so sorry I broke your laws, God. I messed up, my bad. No, it says the kings of the earth, the rulers of the world, they actually get together. They take counsel, they make plans, they enact them to do what? It says to burst their bonds, to cast away their cords. Whose bonds? Whose cords? The they is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the leaders of the world, and we follow suit, say, we don't want that. We don't want your rule. We don't want your reign. And Chad, why look at this Psalm? What kind of hope is this? Well, our future and our hope is the kingdom of God. It is the laws and authority of Jesus Christ. And when he says it's now and at hand, but it's also not yet. It will eventually become face to face. You know, we can be longing for the reality of the kingdom and also be part of the defiance against it. Longing for the kingdom, longing for God to make things right and still a part of defying him, 
the truth of what this Psalm says just in three verses and what the Bible teaches as a whole. And what Jesus comes to deal with is this, the nations rage. And so do I, the nations rage. And so do I, Jackie Hill Perry is a spoken word artist and author. And I was uh, just reading some of her comments last night on Twitter as she was responding to what's happening around our country. And she said this, Adam had no idea that one bite would cause all of this. He had no clue. One bite in defiance of God would cause all of this. Kingdom of God meets the world at an individual level. And you know what it does? Smashes. It's a head on collision with our hearts we raise our fists in defiance. You know, Colossians 1.13 says this, he has delivered us, meaning if we know Jesus, if we've accepted him, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There is no neutral. There is no, oh, maybe I'll think about joining your kingdom. He says, you're either in that kingdom or in mine. You're transferred from a kingdom of darkness. You must be delivered from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Now, what's been secured in Christ? A fatal death blow to the enemy. It is finished. He said that on the cross. And yet we still see what's happening this past week, even last night, even this morning. Why is that? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was uh, a political prisoner after World War II in a Russian gulag, said this and every right to point at the soldiers and the people holding him captive and the corruption that was the government that was keeping him held down. And you know what he said? The line of good and evil, you know where it runs? Right down the middle of the human heart. My heart. Now, what we want to say is, nah, it's them. Chad, it's them. Do you see what they're doing? Do you see all this stuff? And you know what the Bible tells us we must do? We must say, no, it's me. The line of good and evil runs right here, down my heart. The seeds of racism, discrimination, hate, anger, rage, right here. I was born with it. I was born with a fist raised. I want to cast off your bonds and your cords, Lord. I don't want you in my life. That's who we are. The psalmist reminds us, you look at the nations raging and you must point here and say, and that line runs right through the middle of my heart. I don't think I have to convince you of that actually though. I know as you've dealt with this past week and you've been back and forth in your own emotions and your own sins, I have confessing left and right my prejudice and anger and upset and all this stuff. Those seeds, they're all here. They're right here. The nations rage and so do I. So what hope is there? What hope is there? Excuse me. What truth in this Psalm does God point to about his kingdom, about the future? If that's the case, what's the future? How does God respond to raised fists attempting to cast off his rule and reign. Look at verse four. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Hmm. The Lord holds them in derision. 
Then he speaks to them in his wrath and terrifies them in his fury saying, and here's his answer. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I have my king. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, this is God, the father speaking to Jesus in this Psalm. He's speaking to David, the Davidic king, but it prophesies and speaks forward to the reign of Jesus. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And listen to this, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This past week, one of my thoughts, I thought of Jesus in the street in Minneapolis in that moment with the knee on the back of the neck of George Floyd and Derek Chauvin. And I picture Jesus kneeling down saying, no, this is not it. This is not it. Stepping in for the oppressed, stepping in for those who don't have a voice. Now we look at this and we see God in heaven and he comes against injustice and he's got a rod of iron and he's going to break apart and he's going to, and then we realize, oh my goodness, I'm a part of that. He's laughing at me. Now he who sits in heaven's laugh, and it literally does mean to mock and laugh, to playfully make a joke at your plans. We can be like, well, that's kind of mean. You know what? He can be both. He can be full of love for you and me. And then look at our rebellion and our plans and laugh and say, it's ridiculous what you're doing. It's ridiculous. He looks at our plans before they were even made, before you even come up with what you think are really good plans. And he sees the end result. He sees the end result, the outcome of our best laid plans. He knows what they will bring. Let's just go through our own history. Can we think of one leader in history, one government, one justice system, one body of work in wisdom or law? Think of the millions of decisions and opinions that have been rendered in thousands of courtrooms over the centuries. Can we think of anything that has been perfect? Can we think of anything in its intent has resulted in a perfect outcome for society? No. Our own constitution, great document, right? Amazing. You know what the Bill of Rights is? The first 10 amendments to the constitution. You know what it means to amend something? To make it right, to make it better, to fix errors. Our own constitution needed to be amended. And so we had a Bill of Rights and there were 10. Well, guess what? There needed to be a 13th. You know what the 13th was? And it took almost a hundred years to get there. The abolition of slavery. And there are 27 so far. Amendments. Guess what, folks? We've done a lot of good in the world, but nothing perfect. A lot of amazing work and systems of justice and goodness that humanity has benefited from. Astounding people, projects, righteous causes that have been pursued, but have any of them brought about the ultimate good? No. Have we eradicated poverty and hunger? No, even though the data suggests we could do it easily. 
There's enough money in the world to feed everybody. There's enough food to feed everybody. And still there's poverty and hunger. How about all the crimes and injustices? Have they been handled with perfect justice? No. This past week, most recent evidence of this, racism, discrimination, murder, greed, have our best thinkers, leaders, politicians, justice officials been able to bring about a true and ultimate good? No. Those are our plans. Does it mean we don't try? Of course not. We must. And may these attempts be humble and guided by the Holy Spirit with hearts that are changed by the gospel, pursuing those just ends and means through Christ. But there's a reason we can't do it. There's a reason, even though you think, if I just get my guy in the White House, or if I get the current guy out, whatever it is, or if I keep the one that's in there, that's what I really, there's a reason we can't do it because the nation's rage and so do I. But God has a solution. You know, see behind every good program and attempt at true justice and righteousness, there lies a heart that wants to be the king of his or her own life. Our plans. We say, I have my plans though, Lord. I watched a video this morning and it was hard not to stay focused and to keep seeing what was happening because it's unfolding so fast. It was three black men. One was 45 years old. One was 31 and one was 16 years old. The 16-year-old had been involved in violence that morning, this morning, some sort of messing up property or something. The 31-year-old was grabbing him and pleading with him. The 45-year-old was saying, we have to do it this way. And the 31-year-old was saying, it won't work. And he's pleading and looking at the 16-year-old and saying, I have been where you've been. He's been where you've been. And this is not the answer. This is not it. And not that he was even saying, and here is the answer, because all of us are saying, what's the answer? But what is God saying? Yeah, those are your plans. Those are your plans. They won't work. Can you think of a time in your life when you were absolutely certain about your plans? And you said, this just has to be God's way. And if he doesn't see it my way, then there's something wrong with him. And then you come out of it and those aren't his plans after all. And you're like, wow, I'm sure glad that didn't happen. That's just us in life decisions. What about when it comes to injustices as huge as racism and our attempts to solve it? So what is God's solution? What's his solution? If the reason it's all burning is because of sin and injustice that starts right here and even our best plans and leaders can't help but they also have a layer of rebellion and resistance against the Lord and his anointed. What does he do about this? How can he secure a hope and a future for us? It says, then he will speak to them in wrath and terrify them. And what is his answer? I have my king. I have my king. Though you all are putting your heads together and trying to resist. And listen, it's not just the cross. Forgiveness isn't the only thing. It's a kingdom. He doesn't say, you know what? Let's co-rule your life. I'll come in and, and I'll be a good thing for you. You do your thing. I'll do mine. Just keep me at church. Keep me in your buildings, your Bible studies. And then you all do the real ruling and leading out there. I won't get in the way. He doesn't say that. He loves us too much. You know what he says? There's one king and one kingdom. 
one king and one kingdom. And scripture tells us that he is both lion and lamb. Lion and lamb. He came the first time as the lamb of God. He will come the second time as the lion. And not only this, but the nations, every race, tribe, and tongue. What does Psalmist say about them? They're his his inheritance, the ends of the earth, those cities on fire, those people, some legitimately wanting to speak and grieve others, just anger and unfortunately developing into devolving into greater sin. All of them, all of us, his, his possession. Here's the thing, whether we acknowledge it now or then in the future, we will eventually bow our knees in recognition of God's solution that Jesus Christ is the only king and his is the only kingdom. We do it now willingly or then out of fear of his wrath. Either way, you will believe it. You will. That's what scripture says. At some point in history, you will say you truly are the only king. Yours is the glory forever and ever. Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator, owner of every human life, every piece of dirt on this planet. He is your King, both now and in the future. But this is the question that's deeper. Will he also be your hope? Will he also be your hope or will you be found crushed under your own foolish plans? So what do we do? God help us, what should we do? Look at the last few verses, verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Starts out with, no, no, we're shaking our fists. We're casting away your bonds. And God is pleading with them. Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. If there's something you could pray for our president, for our governor, for the mayors, for city council members, for every leader across the world, it would be this, that they would be wise. They would be warned. They would serve the Lord with fear and trembling. But this call is to us. It's not just for the leaders. And look at verse 12. One of the most beautiful and profound statements in scripture, kiss the sun, kiss the sun, not just cower in fear. I'm sorry, you're the king. Kiss the sun. Speaks of family relationship. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. Your future, my future, our hope or lack of it all hinge on how we respond to God's chosen king and his kingdom. The psalmist gives us the clearest picture of what it looks like when he says this, kiss the sun, kiss the sun. You and I must picture ourselves standing in front of Jesus, having a heart to heart conversation. And I would go further. Don't just picture it, do it, do it today. And what does it mean to kiss the sun? What does it mean to serve him with trembling? You know, sometimes we learn best by watching people fail, watching people do the wrong thing. 
do it poorly. If Pontius Pilate wrote a book, it would say this. Here would be the title, How to Ignore the King of Kings. How to Reject the King of Kings. I want to finish with, uh, I think, a clear example of how to resist, how to keep raging, how to keep casting off the bonds of the Lord, how to ignore the true king and the kingdom. I encourage you this week, if you're looking somewhere to read John 18 and 19, has this little segment. But Pontius Pilate, he doesn't want to be where he is. He's the governor of Judea. It's a dump to serve in. It's what he's been assigned. He hates it. Jewish leaders bring him Jesus. And his first thought is, what's this have to do with me? He's not my problem. This is your, your guy. Why'd you bring him to me? And so what he says is, you deal with it. Now you may also try to pass Jesus off. Even right now, you may say, don't talk to me about Jesus. Don't talk to me about the gospel. We need to be out there and we be doing real things. You may say, no, no, you deal with him. Keep him in church. He's Jesus' churchy stuff. He's religious. He's not about the real issues in the world. He's not my problem. What is happening out there today has everything to do with how we respond to the King of Kings. But in this story, Pilate is trying to get rid of him. But you know what? God in his mercy and his eternal plan forces him forces him to meet with Jesus. Now, the reason is this has been set up before time began, that God would come and the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This will happen. This will happen. Everything is in place. Nothing is left to chance. And so guess what? Pontius Pilate, you are going to speak to the king of kings. You are going to deal with your heart. And I would say it's the same of us. You, whether it's now or in the future, will be forced to have this conversation with the true king. Now, frustrated, he's annoyed, he's steaming that he has to do this. He says to Jesus, so are you a king? Are you a king? And Jesus says, are you asking this or did you just hear somebody say it? That may be your first response to Jesus. Fine, I'll talk about it. It says in the Bible, he's the king. Fine, are you really a king, Jesus? Are you really gonna do something about this? And he knows this and he knows our motivation. And so Pilate says, I'm not a Jew. I'm not asking for me. I don't care. I'm annoyed. And Jesus speaks and says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would have been fighting so that I wouldn't have been delivered. But my kingdom is not from this world. So, and I think a lot of sarcasm, Pilate says, so you are a king. Not king in the sense of a great ruler and leader, but king in the sense that you're a threat to Rome. You're a threat to us getting taxes. That's the kind of king you are. So Jesus says, well, those are your words. And then here is kind of the pinnacle that he goes to. And he says, here's why I was born. I was born to bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now keep in your mind how Pilate keeps resisting because then he says to Jesus, he looks him in the face and he says, what is truth? Doesn't wait for the answer. What is truth? So he tries one more time to get rid of Jesus. I'm not gonna do anything with him. And the Jews, according to divine providence, say, crucify him. 
He would die this way. No matter what, God would make sure it happens. So once more, he goes back in and he asks, where do you come from? Why aren't you speaking to me? And at this point is where all of us need to face what's happening in our world, what's happening in our own hearts, where we find ourselves. And Jesus hears Pilate and Pilate says this to him. Don't you know that I can let you go or I can crucify you? And we would say about Jesus, maybe too, in our own lives. Don't you know, Lord, I can reject you if I want to. And Jesus speaks back to him and says this, you have no authority over me unless it has been given. See what Pilate didn't realize, what we don't realize, even though our best efforts to make change out there is that we have no control, no control. The King of Kings has control. He is the one. Your future King and kingdom await your response. How will you respond to him? All of this, and I mean what you could look right now on the news and see the things that are happening out there. All of it still finds its absolute answer in one king and one kingdom. May we kiss the sun and find refuge in him. I don't have answers. And I know I may have even made some people mad by even daring to speak about issues of race and stuff. So I don't have them, but there is one who is truth. The King I love and serve has answered in the cross and resurrection. You want to talk about a protest? The greatest protest ever is Jesus on a cross and nobody understanding what he's saying protesting against sin and darkness and death and evil and conquering it. Though the outworking of the gospel in a human heart like mine can take a lifetime of the sanctifying work of the spirit. Now we got millions of people all entwined in sin, control, power, and strife. It's complex. I'm not saying it isn't. The effects of his kingdom aren't going to be seen overnight. It's now, but not yet. But I will stand on the power and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as long as I have breath. He is, has been, will always be the only answer and is our last best hope. I'm committed to him, to his work, and my heart even to confront my blind spots of sin. My question for you today is, how about you? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that anything that was me, you would just let dissipate. And what was of your spirit and what was from the truth of your word would find an anchor in our hearts. God, I thank you that uh, while we watch our world burn, while there is tremendous, deep, dark injustice, God, that you are the King of Kings. And Lord, that you have provided the solution through your gospel. We ask, Lord, for humility. We ask, Lord, that you give us as believers the grace to grieve with those who grieve. Honestly, to be quiet when we're tempted to spout our opinions and keep posting and keep saying what we think or to look to you in prayer. God, to seek answers from your word, but also to humbly walk with our brothers and sisters. Uh, Lord, thank you. I just thank you, God, even uh, reading this past week um, 
Pastor Brandon, uh, our former pastor here, Lord, as he posted the story about George Floyd, um, his ministry that he had been involved in, Lord, I thank you that he's there right now. I thank you for his family, <clears throat> even his girlfriend this week saying that he would not approve of all of the unrest and violence and things like that. Lord, just what a man, what a man of God. Uh, Lord, let um, what happened to him, God, be something that stirs us to be right with the King. And God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.